Hello and welcome to Inbold, the podcast brought to you by Strategy N's Middle East team, where we dive into the most important topics impacting the Middle East and the world. My name is Karim Dawood, and this is my colleague and friend, Karim Sarkis from Strategy End in Dubai. So in the second series of Inbold, we're looking to lift the curtain on the media industry, global trends, how they apply to us here in the Middle East. So we'll be inviting over the next couple of episodes guests who will share their experience and enlighten us with their perspective of where the industry is going. So sit back and enjoy as we dive in. Welcome everyone to our Experience Center here in Dubai. Today we're sitting again with Nick Grande, CEO of Channel Sculptor and founder of Mina TV. One episode was obviously not enough, Nick. You have so much to share with our listeners who I'm sure enjoyed very much the first episode. Uh, we're here today to discuss the solutions to the problems we highlighted in the media industry at the previous episode. Thanks again for accepting our invitation. We know government here in our region plays roles in, in different ways. The typical government kind of sector grower and enabler, but also they're an integral part of the ecosystem through the public service operation that they do. What do you think government should be doing to bring the sector to more success? Good question. There's lots to unpack from this one. I think, uh, first of all, we need to recognize that Pan-Arab has not helped here. So when you look at broadcasters, a state broadcaster typically will be looking at its domestic audience and then anything externally is treated as a commercial wing and it makes it much more straightforward. You know, within the domestic audience, you know what your civic responsibility is as a state broadcaster. You know what you're trying to do in terms of education, in terms of public order and all those kind of things. And, you know, there are examples internationally of how state broadcasters can compete but without spoiling the pie. But I think what I'd say in answer to your point first of all is we, should, we need to understand what governments do. Governments aren't only straight broadcasters. I mean the most positive aspects are not actually the broadcaster pieces. It's for example the investment in media zones. It's the investment, as you say, in infrastructure, investment in bringing talent. So, and I think the fact that you've got intergovernmental competition on a massive scale now, on an epic scale. You have so much money being spent by the Saudi government on building a media ecosystem locally, trying to rival the Egyptians in terms of production. That's great in terms, it's particularly in the environment we're in now, where there is this need for higher value productions to, to feed consumers who have got used to a diet of US, European budgets and expect the same thing from now, if they're going to take an Arab show, they want it to be, particularly drama, they want it to be high value. So you need the governments up to a point to step in and take some of the load. And I hear stories of Neom offering like 55% rebates and stuff. Obviously, 2454, you know, Abu Dhabi's been offering like, I think, 30% rebates for some time and have obviously done some really spectacular deals with the likes of Star Wars and so forth. I think that helps bring the talent up locally. I think it's not all imported people, but anyone who's worked, as Kareem and I both have, with these media zones know that the hard part is keeping people there. Mm. So it's not enough to have a great edit facilities and a massive sound sta stage and so forth. You also need to have reliable schools. You need to have good health care. You need to have some kind of provision for, you know, 
family life and the potential for even, as the UAE is doing now, encouraging people to think about spending their retirement here. Those are important for the sector, just like any other sector. Agreed. And these so, are all roles that uh, unquestionably the government should play. But then what okay, about the on other the public, roles? I'll come back to your... Yeah. This is really positive. Really yes. positive. So when we come back to this question of public broadcasters, I think that if you look at the really... Okay, let's split between free-to-air and pay to start with. So within the free-to-air space, the reason the public broadcasters have tended to go sort of out with a commercial mandate is because they're competing pan-regionally. So, and I think there's always going to be this pressure. You see it everywhere in the world. But I, I think having more domestic markets, more focus on digital delivery within markets is good because it will mean that there's more focus for public sector broadcasters to spend money on things which will engage an audience regardless of the ad spend. That they actually want to get the message across. So you, you need to have good content, otherwise nobody's going to listen or watch. So, but I think that will make life easier for everybody if that happens. But I think the other thing related to this is entrepreneurialism. I mean, I think there are a number, and we'll probably talk about this in a bit, there are a number of quite interesting startup businesses and how they're changing the ecosystem, but actually also at a management level within these corporates, including the government corporates, you need an entrepreneurial mindset. So you need to people who are looking at the industry and able to respond, particularly the sort of the private broadcasters. You know, an example like Reuter TV in, in Jordan, which is uh, a private business, but the number one TV network in Jordan. And it's a profitable broadcaster and it's run in an extremely tactical way. You know, the way they use YouTube to drive to their own AVOD platform, the way they use Facebook stories in the simile, the way that they have an academy that sits alongside the channel, that they promote their own talent, and they're extremely effective in creating an ecosystem within that Jordanian sector. And they live off Jordanian advertising going about, yeah? Yes, although interestingly their AVOD platform is now pan-regional, and they, they're starting to see themselves as pan-regional. Now it may be that the state broadcasters can't resist being pan-regional. They're looking also at the soft power within the region. They want their platforms to be seen. So I can see how there are a number of agendas at play if you are a Dubai TV or an Abu Dhabi TV or a Saudi TV or even an NBC, you could arguably argue, or Arabia. But I think, to your point, at least from a commercial point of view, it'll be easier when there's more focus on domestic audience because it will be clearer what everybody's role is. Mm. Or even if you're, you know, as you're alluding to, if my objective is I want to, be, I'm out of the UAE, but I want to be viewed in Saudi because it's important for me to get messages to, you know, the Saudi audience about what's going on in my country or and so on. You could still do that as a government and measure that, make that the measure of your success, and then maybe enact some policies about, well, you know, if I'm paying somebody to produce content, I want them to be producing it in my country because I want some economic benefit or. Uh, if I'm uh, somebody's producing something for me, they need to uh, contribute to the talent development of my own ecosystem, rather than try I to be a competitive commercial player at the same time. I don't know whether you remember this, Sit, but one of the leader summits that we did, there was a, an idea tabled of public sector broadcasters removing ad sales from their mandate, exactly. which I think is a really interesting idea, and it's much more tenable in a world where you are purely a domestic. Why is media. it that a, a government-backed 
a state broadcaster is required to have a revenue stream from advertising. Mm. I mean, if the, there are good examples of how you can still be profitable. I mean, if you look at, I'm sorry, I'm, because I'm a Brit, I'm going to do this, but if you look at BBC Studios again, which is the international arm of the BBC, that's a profitable, mandated to be profitable company. It's effectively a production house. They do co-pros with all the big players in Netflixes and the Amazons and everybody else. But then the BBC domestically is, relies on its license fee and it doesn't carry advertising. And ITV, the main competitor in the UK, of course there are a number of commercial broadcasters there, but its inventory is fully sold out in the UK. So there's a case for that. It doesn't mean that ITV outrates the BBC. They both have really great shows. It can work. So I think that's interesting. And on this point of advertising as well. I mean, the, the market's so undervalued in the Middle East and market by market. I mean, the example of UAE I'll go back to because you hear you have a country of 10 million people, GDP per capita, I don't quote me, but I think something like $40,000, $45,000 a year. And you compare it with a Hong Kong, Israel, Singapore, all these economies similar or smaller in size, similar or lower GDP per capita. Hong Kong's almost like for like, slightly lower GDP per capita. Hong Kong has a TV advertising revenue of a billion dollars. How is it that the UAE domestic ad spend is somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 50 million dollars? Everything else is pan-regional. You know, there's there's a huge amount of money on the table here and, it's, and somehow it's not, you know, why is it we don't see Al Rostamani Exchange and Sharaf DG and uh, the uh, Tourist Board and all these entities advertising domestically to a UAE audience? You know, there's an awful lot, I mean... And why, you think? Because everybody's obsessed with the pan-regional model and, you know... And the fact why do they that have digital channels now that well, they can use yeah, to like, reach their consumers? Right? Well, even more practically, if I put my ad on... Abu Dhabi or Dubai or NBC or whatever, it's going to everywhere, including Saudi. So, you know, I'm half, I'm forced to monetize from my biggest market first. So to the extent that we can fix the domestic markets, it'll create a huge leap in revenue opportunities. And digital is the best way. By the way, digital includes IPTV. It's not only about AVOD platforms and everything else. Mm -hmm. However you get there, if you can ring fence each market, I mean, NBC have been in innovating in this. You know, they put up spot beams years ago for Egypt and, you know, they're building Iraqi channels and Maghreb channels. They understand this, trying to create audiences domestically. But I think digital's so much more measurable. So it's much better. I want to extract some like, do's and don'ts, maybe, from our conversation to try to sort of wrap up the thinking, let's say. I think on governments, what we're saying is, Please continue to support on the enablers, on the talent, on the infra, on the right policies, on the incentives. Absolutely. Please get out of the way of commercial players in terms of the state-backed well, media. Well, more than that, encourage startups. Because yeah. we haven't, we didn't talk so much about entrepreneurs, but there are some great examples. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate, you know, I'm 14 years into to my own business and still here. And it's not easy, this sector. Media is not, as you rightly said earlier on, it's not a profitable area for many people. So, but there are other companies that are very much more successful than mine. I mean, look at Stars Play and what Marshake and Danny Bates have achieved there. Look at Sour Media and what Ali Ajouz has achieved there. Like, the, these are quite big players in the market, completely independent companies. Of course, Stars Play is now 
got a huge investment from. But I mean, they are still very entrepreneurial. I was with Danny Bates last night, just chatting about their sort of plans, and there he's so bought into that business. You know, the 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 change in ownership. I was curious whether they would be in some way kind of soft pedaling now that they've got all this new money. Not at all. They are. They're going. They want to be a unicorn. That's you know that's their intention, a double unicorn. I think it actually. So, but there are others. You know, look at what Imad Morkos and Amanda Turnbull have. You know, with this Rise Studios business, they've just acquired five major production houses. They've got U.S. money coming in. So this is good. This is how you create a solid ecosystem. So not only support entrepreneurship, but also look at how you incentivize outside investor investment, FDI, and direct investment into the sector. Yeah, how did, I mean, they, how did they do that? They got U.S. money coming in for a MENA-based mm. business, and that was deliberate. They wanted that. They didn't want to have the, the control issues that they might have faced with the, with the shareholders. That's my understanding, and I think it's very smart. Not that there's anything wrong with investment here per se. It's just that for them trying to export back to the international markets, they needed to pitch the Middle East story internationally. So it's not enough only to provide the tools. You also need to really encourage the entrepreneurs okay. in a big way. That's on the government side. If I'm a large private, semi-private uh, media player in the region, what should I be doing? It really depends. I think uh, I think you can look at the success stories. That would be my first thought on this. I mentioned Roya TV. Like, I mean, they're not perfect. You know, I think there's one of the things about being an entrepreneur in any sector is you're always frustrated what you haven't done. You forget what you are achieving. But if you are a private or semi-private business, clearly you have to have an idea of how you are going to evolve and. Are you ad supported? Are you subscription? In subscription, we didn't we we started that conversation, but we didn't finish it about the government role in subscription TV and how that plays out. I think context is very important. Yeah. Right? Because if there are some markets where the government has made it very clear in this part of the world that they want to control yes. all media, traditional media, let's say, because they can't control digital in the same way. They've made it very clear. So if I'm, a, I think first, if I'm a private media player, first I need to understand what market I'm playing. If I'm playing in the market where the government has just come out and said, I own everything, get out of the way. This is not but a private you know market what? anymore. That in itself doesn't mean you shouldn't play in that space because governments don't always read the market as well as private businesses. You know, okay, but maybe then you come out, you go out of the main door, but you come back in through the digital window and through the better targeting and through a, a differently a different product then. But you, you have to be scrappy. I mean, yes. Just look at Stars Play winning the Serie A rights. You, you can imagine how Bian felt about that. I mean, it's, it was a really bold, really intelligent move and completely unexpected for most people. And uh, so I don't think just because a government's playing in a space, it should preclude an entrepreneur from coming in. Some of the smartest deals have been done by the middle tier private sector business. I mean, look, going back to this point about entrepreneurial, it's not only about startups. If I think about, for example, Tarek Manir when he was running Turner, he's now, you know, running a, I think a $30 million business, enhances his fitness business. He's an entrepreneur through and through, but he was hired by Turner, you know, the, the Warner business to run their kids' channels, and he saw what was happening in audience measurement. Turner decided they didn't want to play by the conventional rules. They didn't want to rely on the sort of effectively recall data. They wanted to go direct to client. And so 
given that their product was appealing to kids, you know, Cartoon Network Arabic, he literally went to an advertiser, advertisers like Mattel, like Lego, and said, look, pick your retailer, you know, we'll pick your product, and we'll measure before and after the campaign for the product that you're promoting, and if it goes above a certain level, this is what you pay me. If the retail sales don't hit that bump, you don't pay me anything. That was a very entrepreneurial way of dealing with a very systemic problem. And, you know... Okay, so that's your point. There's, even with the government control, there's ways to reshape your offering. Or it just, he didn't continue doing the status quo. He didn't consider, I'm a TV channel that wants, needs to be measured by its audiences and turn eyeballs into advertising. He found a different way to, to pla yeah. place value upon and his Others can do the same. What's interesting is that the situation globally is so fluid now that it's really incumbent on anyone, whether they're running a medium-sized broadcaster or an AVOD startup, whatever, you've got to read the room. You've really got to see where there's a potential for uh, that may or may not have been spotted by others. By all means, copy existing models. You know, there are globally, there are good examples of businesses that wait and they come in second or third mm -hmm. in with a particular idea. And sometimes that's a smart thing to do, but. This situation is very fluid, so I think there are opportunities to be more creative right now in the way you run and to create new revenue streams. Now let's shift to the incumbents, the traditional media players that have observed this uh, tectonic shift that also invaded our region like everywhere else in the world. What do you think the NBCs uh, of our region should be doing to remain relevant and to continue winning? I got stuck on NBC within that question and I think that NBC are so important right now within the ecosystem, not only because of the level of funding that they have, but because the vision that they've managed to manage and continue. So the fact that they were, for the last many years, they have been looking out five, six years ahead and reading the room, reading the, I keep seeing this expression, reading the room, reading the market well, seeing what needs to be done. And this, now this transition and this focus on these two-pronged attack of Shahid, massive investment in originals for Shahid, creating a genuine alternative to these global players that has regional relevance. And NBC Studios fueling Shahid, yes, but also potentially creating content which can travel and therefore can create a commercial model that works for NBC as a group in the same way that you see ITV Studios doing and you see all around the world big broadcasters, whether they're state-funded or in private, they recognize that you have to play in a global space, even if you want to compete domestically. So it's great to see that. The only sad thing is they're so much bigger than everybody else now that it's sort of, it's frustrating, I think, knowing that they're occupying so much of the production capacity and so forth. You kind of want some other entities to be in the play, in the game. But that's not, let's take nothing away from them strategically. Look, they may have a lot of funding, but they are extremely clever, extremely strategic and effective in the way they execute. Now, we know the big players we haven't talked about are the telcos. Uh, they typically look at this as an adjacent sector that truly differentiates them. How do you see the ecosystem benefiting from a telco play in media, in video, in TV? Well, I think first of all, if we accept that the future of the industry is domestic markets, you can't do that without the telcos. 
we're not about to put a whole load of transmission masts up. Mm -hmm. So the industry needs the telcos. And the question is always, when you get the telcos involved, how much of an influence should they have? You know, and we've seen like businesses like AT&T globally, they're not media companies and they realize that media is a different industry. And, and mm. so they come in, they come, uh, go out quite frequently. Obviously right now, Etisalat, Eander's very aggressive in the content space. And I think they're kind of getting it right with eVision so far. They seem to have, through this acquisition or partial acquisition of Stars Play, they've created outreach for themselves across a number of domestic markets and they can manage each of those markets separately. I don't think every telco should be doing that. And you know that's, that's an expansive approach. It's not necessarily the only approach. If you look at the, their competitor do in the UAE, they also have had a good track record in content over the years. But I think that the thing that telcos don't do, and they really all should be doing, is measuring and sharing. So I'll explain what I mean by that. So, you know, I'm obviously biased. You know, we're working with all the, uh, all the telcos, but specifically with eVision and Etisalat on their audience data. We have also worked with Do on their audience data. There's a reluctance amongst digital players to share data. And I think if I was Netflix or Stars, yeah? Yeah, or Stars Play, I would see, I can see as a business why I don't want to share my data with anybody except very selectively because it's a competitive resource. Mm. But as, a, as an operator, if you're actually providing an ecosystem for these businesses to play in, mm. you can help them grow by decisions. sharing how they're doing with them and with the market. You're keeping them honest, you're encouraging them to do better, you're showing them how their competitors are doing, and best of all, because you have your own ecosystem, you're actually causing them to program according to your viewers. So what the telcos don't necessarily think about is the advantage of sharing audience data. And when you do that, you'll have, a, in the linear space we see it, you'll have a broadcaster. All the decisions that they're making are based around your audience. And so they are much more inclined to, to favor you know, things that work for the audience. So you end up with a better product, more skewed to your customers. These are customers these that you are monetizing and you're giving them a better product without having to pay anything more. And do you think today, telcos across the Arab world, are they doing enough? Not at all. I think they can do so much more. I think there is a dilemma for telcos as to how they get into the, the platform space. Do they do it via their own platform in the way that Do and Redo and Etisalat and uh, Vodafone in Qatar, for example, have done? or do they go the partnership way and then work with a Stars Play, for example. Of course, STC are more of an OTT player, but their product is a, is a platform that can be taken by other operators. I think probably because of the way technology is going, it's going to be more the latter. It is going to be more a case of telcos, aggregator. Uh, telcos taking solutions that might work across, without rather than having to have their own box and their own, all of the kind of expense that comes with that. There are advantages to have that in terms of linear channels, but they're less and less needed. I think mm -hmm. you can, you could see a situation where a telco can potentially have their entire ecosystem within an app eventually. Yes. But the message I would have for them though is be more willing to be Switzerland. You know, mm. be, share the data with everybody. You know, maybe charge them for it. In fact, definitely charge them for it. You know, work with us if you want to, but like, but make sure that the data's there, allow it to get to bleed into the market, because then you'll help 
inform the market. The market's starved of information. Right, this goes. This role goes beyond uh, data, I think, as well. Nick. I mean, in terms of telco as aggregator, telco as a subs you know a viewer acquisition yeah. uh, vehicle. I think we've gone from one extreme to the other in terms of telco's attitude to media. We went from I need to own my own content, I need to own buy companies, I need to have my own platform to I don't want to have anything to do with it. Somewhere in the middle, the fact that telcos, especially in a world where we have fragmented markets in MENA, where we have inefficient uh, markets and we don't have those national borders to help us build the local markets that you mentioned, telco as a means for me to reach an audience and monetize it is yeah. actually a, a very viable play. And them playing an aggregator role, I think, is a win-win for both them and media companies. Absolutely. And there were several attempts over the years for the telcos to partner with each other in the content space because obviously when you look at buying content rights it's a clear these are very wealthy companies but it's pointless them buying pan-regional rights for football for a domestic audience alone they can only do it as a, as a conglomerate so in hi history has shown that's harder than it looks so I think actually it's more efficient to have an aggregator like OSN or BN do that piece but then the more of them the better and as, as a telco, make sure that your ecosystem, your domestic ecosystem, is as easy to work with as possible. And using your marketing tools and everything else, and particularly the measurement, I'll keep coming back to because I think it's vital. It's the other missing piece along with, once you've broken up the markets, you've got to be able to measure them effectively. Thank you for the, your view on the telcos, uh, very clear. I think perhaps the only category we haven't properly covered now is from a producer's perspective. Mm. What would you say is happening in the region? Well, first of all, NBC is so pervasive and taking up so much of the mind share, both at a consumer level and at an industry level, it's easy to overlook the other opportunities. So I think as a producer, you already know that there is demand. And you know that, as we've talked about, the price of content is going up, so the potential for higher production values are there. And from what I've seen, you know, even the talent, you know, whether it's the camera operators or the DOPs and whatever else, they, there's a, quite a significant demand, obviously being driven in, in quite a large part by NBC. But the thing to remember as a producer is there are other players. I'll give you an example, Viewclip, who we haven't really heard that much about recently. But you know, I was chatting with their head of content yesterday, and uh, you know, they they're really quite aggressive in terms of they're funded by PCW. They have a clear slate that they're working on. They have significant investments in uh, in content production in various places, not only in the region but also Turkey. So these are a potential channel for partnerships for producers. Wayak, you know, the, uh, the Z Arabic platform. Roya TV, I mentioned before, you know, in Jordan. In answer to your question, there are a number of quite big AVOD players out there that are in a position to work with producers. And then at the same time, you have a, a almost like a reorganization of the production industry towards this higher value ticket size of, of episodes. And so seeing something like Rise Studios coming in what does that tell us about what's possible for producers if they club together and they coordinate and they start thinking about external markets? So mm. not only the local players, what would it take to make a show that could be bought by Amazon? How do you go about doing that? You know, this is key. We, look, I think everyone for years has felt that this market is capable of producing a Squid Games. It is. This, if you look at the consumption of media 
originating from the Arab world over the last 20 years globally, it's huge, but it's all news. It's all news or stereotypes. But actually, I, as a non-Arab, I love stories that open up new perspectives on things I thought I knew all about. And that's, if you look at the streaming audience, they're much more sophisticated. You know, storylines have to be much more satisfying. You know, audiences are becoming more discerning. And guess what? This region is rich with opportunities in that area. You can pick, you don't have to do conflict zones. You can literally just pick, for example, the life of a Saudi woman the last 10 years. You know, like, you just pick a moment in time. That's fascinating viewing if you're sitting at home in Stockholm or in Denver or whatever, like something you'd never even think of. You know, there are so many stories like that. You know, I, I think if people actually really think about what they watch on Netflix, international, and they start thinking about what stories come out of the Arab world that have that depth of characterization, that depth of story, then layer in the, the fascination that the world has with this region, you've got a wonderful cocktail. Thank you. And I, would, I would say that of all the different parties we've spoken about, the production companies are the, or producers are the ones who stand most to gain. But for them to take advantage of this opportunity, they have to do a few things. One, they need to know who they're selling to. Selling to a national broadcaster versus a regional OTT play versus a global OTT play are very d different propositions. They need to move away from being in love with the idea of their content versus pitching themselves to the needs of who they're selling to. A global OTT company uh, player looking at somebody pitching a, uh, a content to them is not only thinking about their local audience. They're thinking, can this travel? They're thinking, how does this compare to uh, other things that, I've, that I can get from other parts of the world? And also, take advantage of the fact that even though we're talking uh, about costs going up, Relative to the global market, we're still a cheap, relatively cheap place Very to produce content. content. So, actually, with rebates as well. Yes, even if you add rebates, even more so. A local content producer who creates global quality content is actually a great investment from a global OTT player's perspective because it is lower cost than many other parts of the world. That's and the third is up to your game through collaboration and through partnerships. They need better technical expertise, hire people who have done it before, uh, collaborate with producers from outside the region and bring them into joint ventures with you and bring yourself up to the level that these players expect, expect from you. I think if it's definitely an opportunity for the taking. So I should uh, go and open a production company? You specifically, absolutely not. But <laughs> <laughs> other people, other pe if I look at the media ecosystem okay. in terms of... You raise an interesting point there. So Karim, you did launch a production company once upon a time. In fact, he was my neighbour in the building. So <laughs> my question to you then is, would you do it again? No. Mr. Partner at Strategy and? I think today, starting a production company that invests in the development of its IP, that understands the needs of its target customers, that takes the budgets that are available now and invests them in the quality of the content, not in the bottom line, because let's face it, before much of what we saw as budgets actually just went to profit right. rather than to quality on screen. Definitely it's a better time than before. With the points you're mentioning, Nick, about there aren't enough buyers, I think back then there were not enough buyers. Back then it w there was not enough transparency. Mm. Back then there was not enough value attributed to content. Very different world now. But at the same time, the standards are higher. Right? You can't be 
the guy with the two pages of, of a 30-episode description going around and pre-selling it before you've actually given any thought to it. so the and plot line, your, the characters, and so on. Yes, that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Okay, I've got another question for him. Before you uh, launched this production house that you owned and ran, you also had another interesting job. You the, were the executive director of television at Abu Dhabi TV in a past life. So my question to you is, do you, what do you think, how do I put this? If you were in that role now, what would you do? I would ask my board to be very clear about what identity and what objective, what identity they want for their state media and what objective they have behind spending so much money on it. I think this duplicity in objectives and trying to be all things to all people, trying to be both a commercial player and a national broadcaster, trying to appeal to a domestic audience as well as a regional audience, trying to uh, compete with commercial players while at the same time having to abide by government laws around procurement and payroll, it doesn't work. So yeah, yeah. what is the answer? You said to have a very clear rule book. Choose what it is that you want and then measure success accordingly. Do not try to be both commercial and public and do not try to be both revenue driven, but at the same time, treat yourself as a subsidy uh, platform. Well, that was certainly a very interesting debate. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nick, for taking the time to come and share some words of wisdom with our listeners. If I were to summarize in a few words what I heard, uh, again, this whole outlook for us in the MENA region in media sounds very promising. You gave concrete examples of players who recently entered, kind of attracted by the perspective of healthier business models now, establishing with a new ecosystem. So uh, thank you on behalf of all our listeners. I certainly hope that whether they're in government or our fellow producers, they benefited from some of the uh, thoughts and ideas that were shared. Sounds wonderful. And thank you, guys. I think this is really valuable what you're doing. It's a great idea to have a proper in-depth conversation. The fact that this is not a panel session, this is an opportunity to really dig into the ideas and I'm looking forward to seeing who you bring in. I hope that they don't show me up too much, but I'm really excited to see what they've got to say and how it relates to my business. So thank you for doing this, it's a brilliant idea. Thank you, Nick, for coming in again. We know how precious your time is. This has been a very insightful discussion with lots of takeaways for governments, for producers, for media houses, and for telcos. We hope our listeners learned as much as we did today with your expert insights. See you next time, everyone. And make sure to like and subscribe to the Strategy End in Bold podcast.